Hey there, and welcome to Heal with Grace. I'm your host, Grace Secker, and I'm a holistic licensed therapist and nervous system coach who believes that the chronic and often unseen symptoms you're living with are a sign of something deeper going on, a sign that your nervous system needs attention. In each episode, I'll share the science behind the most common chronic health disorders, plus holistic health tips using mental, physical, and spiritual practices. You'll hear what I've learned in my journey and the true stories from our trusted guests so you can feel less alone in your experience and give yourself grace no matter what you're going through. So without further ado, settle in and get cozy. It's time to heal with grace. Hello and welcome to the Heal with Grace podcast. I am here with Kaylin, one of my very dear friends, another fellow therapist. And when I thought about starting this podcast, I knew automatically that I wanted her to be on here. We know here with Grace that we talk a lot about like regulating the nervous system, healing chronic pain, mental, emotional, physical health. And a lot of times what comes with that is how to take care of yourself. And Kaylin really focuses on that. I'm actually going to stop here and just let her introduce herself. So (laughs) by the way, hi, Kaylin. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and see you. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. I specialize working with millennial women with stress and anxiety. And I've been doing that with that specific focus for a couple of years. And I have been realizing more and more that I just can't help enough people as a therapist. And I want to help more. So I am moving into the coaching world with a wellness book club membership and group programs and who knows what else, continuing to focus on that stress management and self-care habits, because I believe that taking care of ourselves is first and foremost, the most important, and then we can take care of other people from there. So let's actually just jump right into that. when. We talk about like taking care of ourselves. It's such an important part of any kind of health, right? But sometimes people don't understand what that means. They're kind of like, okay, how is the bell black going to like help that? Right? How's it really going (laughs) to help me? Like foundationally, sustainability. So how do you talk about self-care and how do you go deeper with it? They're just like the little things, which do matter. (laughs) How do you talk about it? They do. They do. Yeah. I... I try to talk about it in terms of building habits because I think people are a little bit more open to the idea of building habits than they are to like self-care, especially when self-care has become this like wild version of let's take a bubble bath and hope it fixes all of this chronic pain and stress I've been experiencing and hope that it makes my job feel better. And it's like, no, the bubble bath is not going to do that. The bubble bath is great as part of a self-care routine or as part of your daily habits, but it is not the only thing. Self-care is actually like, it can be really hard sometimes. Like it, it's looking at the shadowy bits. It's looking at the parts of yourself that you don't actually want to look at and learning to, if not love those parts, accept those parts and accept where they come from and learn how they show up and that can be in like how it shows up in how your nervous system is functioning how your immune system is functioning how you interact with people around you how you react to stressors like all of these things i believe can be learned and helped and cared for through self-care so you're saying that 
those things like a bubble bath, like taking time for yourself, whatever that might look like. Yet they're important, but the underneath is actually more important, meaning like you can't actually do those things unless you don't look at the parts of yourself that maybe you're afraid to look at. Is that kind of interesting? Kind of. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Like uh, sticking with the bubble bath example, like if your nervous system is used to functioning up here in chaos, in high stress, a bubble bath might actually be worse for you because you don't know how to relax and it doesn't feel safe to relax to that level. So knowing that about yourself, right? Like knowing I actually am so stressed out that a bubble bath would be harmful is really important. And you can only get to know that by looking at yourself, by getting to know yourself, by learning these things about you. Yeah. So it's like that, the more that I stay, the more that I stay just quiet or where I am or like that my mind calms, the more anxiety is probably sometimes going to come with that if you don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. So having, having those more, I guess, more active, for lack of a better word, like habits and routines to help manage stress in the moment as you start to try and calm yourself down, like if the bubble bath is your ultimate goal, like (laughs) as you start to calm down to the point where that actually feels good and is restorative, like you need to take yourself there easily. You can't just jump in. I know someone who keeps talking about how staying busy is really helpful because then they're just distracting themselves and they're not someone who's ever going to be able to just like sit there and meditate. It doesn't work for them. And staying silent is not helpful, right? They, they can't handle that. So staying busy is more helpful and healthy for them. Whenever I hear this, I have a little alarm go off in my mind, right? I'm like, yep, yep. Well, but not really. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because there's a lot of people here that sometimes they've been forced to slow down. They have no other option to slow down. Right. But it's really hard. They don't understand how to do that without all this like anxiety and depression coming when they do slow down. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that way. And like, I'm just going to pull out science and nature and biology. Like that's not how we function. (laughs) It's not sustainable. Like, sorry, go, go fight with mother nature. If you have a problem with it, like (laughs) we can do it for a certain amount of time. And it might, again, it might feel safe because you're used to that, but we're actually supposed to function in waves of stress or activation and then coming back down into rest and recovery and then go back up again. And it's like, literally, if you look at the 24 hour cycle of sleep, like we have sleep, then we're awake, then we're asleep. And that's how we function. So I disagree (laughs) as a whole, but I also believe that meditation truly isn't for everyone. Like if you think about it in terms of I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to be with my thoughts, like it isn't always great. And when my clients bring that up, whether or not they'll ever eventually get there, I don't know, but we'll start with like a moving meditation or a more active meditation, like journaling or breath work or something like that, that's still in the meditation family, but it doesn't have to be like that sitting still breathing. Like I can't even do that sometimes. Like sometimes I am too wired for that and I love to meditate. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is an all approach. It's an all approach to coming back really to yourself. I think it's kind of what you're saying. Like, how do you take care of yourself? It means looking at yourself and building that stronger relationship, right? And part of this conversation I wanted to talk about was how this fits into perfectionism and people that work with or not work with, but 
either identify with, or sometimes they're not fully aware that they identify with perfectionism, but the idea that it's really hard to get something right. And I just do quotations for y'all listening to this or never really actually taking action because there is a strong fear of not getting it right or messing up or being a failure or X, Y, and Z. Now, oftentimes people aren't aware of that, of the reasons, but that's where it's coming from. So a lot of times that can happen with self-care too, right? And just actually yeah. really looking at yourself, not wanting to go there because X, Y, and Z. So right. I'll formulate a question here. How do you fit those two pieces together? <laughs> yeah, I like where you're going with the perfectionist idea because I never identified as a perfectionist for a really long time. Like I'm not a type A person. I'm not like, I was never like straight A's, like, you know, that, that like teacher's pet, whatever image comes up with perfectionism. I was never that person ever. But I've realized in, in more recent years, I got in really into like people pleasing and realizing I was a people pleaser and going down that rabbit hole, like perfectionism is a big part of that too. And then for me, it's exactly like what you were saying. Like, it's just a fear of doing anything because it won't be good enough. And so like, that's how my perfectionism has always come up is like, I just don't do anything because if I don't do anything then I don't have to fail at anything. And then the things that I do take action on, I know I'm going to actually succeed at. And so then I'm just good at everything I actually do. And it's great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So with that, like, and I guess I kind of described the journey a little bit, like just getting to know yourself in that way of like, well, maybe I'm not like the stereotypical version of this, but like there is something about it in me. And then what was the second part of the question relating that to self-care? Yeah. If we start to become aware of those tendencies, then how do you work with that? Because I notice often when someone becomes aware of it, almost more guilt or shame ensues. Like, oh, crap, I knew that. Or like, I have those tendencies. Or I do people please. I let people walk all over me, whatever it may be. And then they just go up and shame themselves for it. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of it is like we're taught to make these things wrong. And then when it comes to self-care, again, like you have all of these people on social media, like I'm just going to stick with the bubble bath. Maybe I actually just really need to take one, but <laughs> that's great. They have, right. Awesome. They have like the tray and then they have their little book and they have a single rose and a vase and their matcha. And it's so vibey. And like, if you can't do that, what's the point of taking a bubble bath? Like I live in an apartment with a bathtub that I say is not the, it's not a human sized bathtub. I can't sink and settle all the way into it. I can get my legs or I can get the top, but, but like not everything. Right. And so having a situation like that, that's not like Instagram worthy when that perfectionism comes up, that might actually stop you from doing the thing. Or if you think about like your meditation practice, like not having a perfectly curated corner with your like ficus tree right next to you and the fireplace and the candle like it's not worth it to do the meditation or you know when I do my meditation I'm probably in really baggy sweats that I refuse to wear out of the house with a blanket over my head like <laughs> it doesn't always look like what we see it to look like or what we think it looks like and that can stop people and then if you get into 
I guess like with the fear, maybe, maybe perfectionism fear, or maybe just fear of, of knowledge, like part of self-care is going to the doctor. And I know this is big with your community too. like go to the doctor, figure out like what's going on and advocate for yourself. If you are told something's not going on and you know, there is like truly when you get in touch with yourself, you know, what's going on with your, well, you know, that there's something going on with your body. You might not know what it is, but that all of that is part of self-care too. Like that's part of the whole process of getting into that and really digging deep to figure it out. 1000% taking care of yourself and advocating for yourself is completely self-care. Oftentimes people are kind of forced into that, but not all the time. They don't recognize that actually, unfortunately, you can be pushed around a lot, especially by professionals yeah. in the medical community. It just kind of is a thing. And so either I see a lot of people just hiding and not going and not trusting anyone, literally not trusting anyone, or just, yeah, kind of being thrown around a lot. And so really building that relationship with yourself to say, you know what? I don't know what it is. Something is off. Something's wrong. And I'm not getting the help I need. I need to look somewhere else or speak up or whatever that might look like. That's huge. And it takes a lot of it takes a lot of energy and effort to learn how to do that. But once you do, yeah. build that stronger foundation with yourself. Yeah. And when it takes so much energy and effort, when you're already like low on energy yeah. and yeah. effort that you have, like it comes back again. Like this is why you need to take care of yourself. This is why you need to have those routines and those habits that restore your energy as much as possible each and every day. And like your hundred percent every day is not going to look the same, but getting yourself to like the best it can be for that day each day is what's going to help you get through all of that other shit that you have to go through to take care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. I like that idea of just making it best for you that day. What comes up often is when people are going throughout my program or learning through some of these techniques, they, especially in the beginning, the first month or so, they're kind of frozen. They're like, I don't know what to do when and which steps to take. And tell me steps one, two, and three, A, B, C. Like, tell me how to fix this right now. Tell me what I need to do every single day, morning, night. Yeah. They're like, I'll do it. I'll, I promise. I <laughs> tell just, me. I'll tell you exactly what to do. And there's so much of this comes up all the time. And so it does have to mean like that is actually building your relationship, right? That is taking care of yourself and recognizing even healing yourself, being in this healing community is not going to be perfect. Even when you're learning these skills, those things are not going to be perfect. It is going to look different every day and it, you're not going to get it right. And it's going to feel weird and awkward and not the best at first. Um, yeah. Well, that's what made me think of it as like really just meeting yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. And that perfectionism really comes in strong. <laughs> yeah. Like we so badly want like the roadmap to follow and it's like no you get all of these options and then you can build your own road have fun <laughs> exactly and that can be overwhelming right i get it yeah. i've been overwhelmed by that a million times yeah i would love to have and i would love to give a <laughs> right one two and three yes. i would love to fix that for you yes unfortunately it's not how it works no it does not work like that we've talked a little bit about perfectionism or we've talked quite a lot but can you Give a little bit more examples of what it might show up in terms of like people pleasing or something like that. Like what, what exactly is people pleasing and what exactly is perfectionism? How do they go together? Yeah. So 
I feel like they're both kind of in the fawn state of if you're talking about your stress response, like most people know fight or flight, maybe a few more people know freeze. And then the fourth one, fawn, a lot of people don't know about. But fawning is kind of like making yourself agreeable or making yourself maybe even important or necessary so that if you think about it in biological terms, like so that the lion doesn't eat you. So like, I don't know what we would do to make a lion not eat us, but like, we're going to take care of your den and your babies while you hunt, whatever. But (laughs) in more modern times, that's when the people pleasing and the perfectionism comes. Like if you're in that people pleasing space, well, why don't you let me make you dinner and then you won't yell at me or whatever it is. Like, or you won't leave me if you're in a relationship or something or at work like, oh, well, I'll stay late and take on the extra projects so you won't fire me. Or that can also be the perfectionism. Like, let me let me do everything and control everything so that I can guarantee, in quotes, my safety here at this job. And that's kind of how I see see those things. So like the people pleaser is is really taking care of everyone else as a way to feel like they're taking care of themselves. But by the time all of that energy comes back around, there's nothing left for them or it's time to start taking care of everyone else again. So they just kind of get skipped over. Okay. So thank you for explaining the font response because you're right. It's not explained very well or just very often. It's just not really talked about that much, right? It's really not. Yeah. It's very actually pertinent and it's very important for this community, because the type of personality characteristics that come with chronic illness, people pleasing, perfectionism, high conscientiousness, high anxiety, um, the need for control, and more often, very much so not taking care of themselves or taking care of many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate, which I'll link below, he yeah. talks a lot about this. He shares so much about the type of person that actually ends up sick and ends up with illnesses. And this is a big part of his work is recognizing like, hey, what kind of tendencies are you doing? How much are you giving and letting other people, in a sense, walk all over you? I don't think he probably uses that term, but because then you're dismissing yourself when you do that. You're not actually listening to you. And so much of this process, so much of taking care of yourself and self-care is listening to your body, listening to you. So those internal cues are really important to develop. Yes, that is probably the first place if not one of the first places that I start with most of my clients when we're talking about their stress when we're talking about their anxiety like of course they're talking about like my relationship I keep snapping at my partner I'm so angry all the time like they piss me off and it's like okay well how do you know what comes up for you before you snap and sometimes it's a blank stare like what are you talking about it's because they're doing something (laughs) like no 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 (laughs) What comes up in your body? Like, does your breathing change? Does your heart rate change? Does your does your face get hot? Like, is there a tingling sensation? Like, tuning into these signs and cues that something is going on for you. Like, that's the first step. You have to figure out how to listen to that. And if you've never done that before, it can seem daunting because it's, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. We Most of us are not taught that, to be that aware. Yeah. Right. But practice, the more that you do, the more that you really can become aware and make a choice within that moment or at least reflect back and understand where I came from. 
and then help yourself through that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So then when we're talking about really taking care of yourself and hopefully moving away from perfectionism, how do we do practices like self-compassion, right? Instead of the shame and the guilt that comes with perfectionism. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to people about taking action on that? Like, what does that look like? I teach people to just like Nike it and just do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and I, I always frame it like an experiment. And it works better when you think about it like that, because it's not like, oh, I'm going to actually make this change. It's I'm going to have an experiment and I'm going to try this out. So then Um, there's less commitment. There's less resistance. And and there's almost less shame sometimes if it doesn't work. It's like, well, I was just trying it to see. Right. So like it makes it a little bit more accessible when you think about it as an experiment. And then and then we just do it. And and see it. And it's usually messy. Life is. (laughs) And that's okay. And then we come back and we figure it out again. And it's just like an experiment with everything, every day, with every practice, you know, we're just going to see how it feels, see if it works, keep doing it over and over again until you have enough data. So, you know, either, yeah, this kind of works or no, this doesn't work at all. When you can take away the expectations, which is what you're doing when you're trying something, right? Right. That's what releases the fear or releases the idea that it has to go a certain way. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we can take away what we're expecting, then actually we're more present with whatever we're trying, which really when we're trying to listen to ourselves and build relationships with ourselves, it's bringing more presence. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. Just trying, experimenting with some of these things. Um, Sometimes... Again, that can be a little daunting because, of course, if you've been through any kind of just a difficult mental health, well, uh, physical health journey, then you want something to work. You want to like know that (laughs) it's just going to freaking work. Yeah. Um, And you've already tried a lot. Like, but I think there's a difference when you're intentionally trying an experiment versus, oh, I read this in a book. It's supposed to work. Or I've been told that X, Y, and Z is going to cure everything, so it better cure everything. Instead, right. we're saying like, hey, let's try some of these principles and see what works for you. Yeah, exactly. That's more personalized. Okay, you talked about messy. Tell us what taking messy action is. And you might have already <laughs> said that, but actually I'll give a little background. So I'll let you talk about it. But I learned the term messy action from Kaylin, I don't know, whenever we met, however long ago that was. <laughs> And I've actually used it with quite a few clients and in my group. And when I've used it, I see a light bulb go off in my client's mind because usually we're talking about what I mentioned before, how, how or how not to do these practices or what to do every day to help themselves heal. And mm-hmm. I'll say, I'll talk about, you know, really making it work for you. And sometimes it's not going to look great. And then I'll say, think about just taking messy action. All you have to do is take the action. It doesn't have to look great. Their eyes go open and they're like, oh, yes. Like, okay, that makes I so much sense. Oh, that. it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. So yeah. I might have just kind of explained it, but <laughs> what else can you add to that and tell me more about what messy action is? Yeah. I mean, that is basically it. Like just allowing it to be messy, you know, in on top of like people who identify as perfectionists or who want this Instagram worthy life or whatever it is. Like, we also live in a culture in a society that doesn't allow for a lot of wiggle room, doesn't allow for a lot of mistakes. And that's 
where a lot of us learn these behaviors and life is actually pretty messy. Like no one's life is perfect. Nothing like nothing in nature is perfect. Like none of it actually exists in that way. And so taking messy action is just giving yourself permission. Like again, with the experiment, like you're giving yourself permission to do something messy, to do something that might feel wrong or to do something that doesn't turn out perfect. And just by placing the name messy on it, it's like, okay, well, if it's messy, this is what I intended for it to be. Like if I mess up or if I don't do it right, that was the intention behind it the whole time because I was meaning to take messy action. So again, it's kind of playing tricks with yourself, using the words and using the intention of like, okay, I'm just going to let this be whatever it turns out to be. Because of that, it will be right, which feels safe to me and it makes it more accessible and more doable. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) We are, we're, we're we're kind of tricking our minds to make these things work to actually just start doing the practices so you can see, yeah, what works for you. Yeah. And if we need to label it messy or really label it whatever you want to label it to help yourself move through it and actually do the thing, then fantastic. Label it whatever, you, yeah. however you want it to label. But you're right. there. We do live in such a society that showcases what things should look like, right? And Anytime we're using the word should or could, let's just take that out of our vocabulary. <laughs> yep. So and if anyone hasn't really understood that or heard that from a therapist before, it's the idea or not even the idea. It's what happens when we say we should be doing something or we could be doing something. When we should or could and we don't, we dismiss ourselves and then we guilt ourselves or shame ourselves for it, right? Should be doing X, Y, and Z. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be eating or working out or whatever. And when we don't do those things, then we feel like crap. So <laughs> yeah. we often say, like, take away the should and the could. And I think that's yeah. very significant of everything that we're talking about. It's taking those out. Yeah. And especially with could, maybe a little bit with should, but like the next question is like, okay, if you could, why aren't you? What's stopping you? Mm-hmm. Could, if you could and you want to and it's doable, there's probably still something there that's stopping you or it's that you don't want to, that it's not doable for you in this moment. Like, so just breaking it down, like, okay, well, what's stopping you then? And figuring out where that stopping point is or where that breaking point is. And again, taking away that shame piece because now you figured it out. Mm, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Because there are a lot of people that say, well, like, you know, I could be doing, um, I'm just talking to a client today. It's like, you know, I could be eating the way that I want to be eating or like doing this holistic diet, but I don't understand why I'm not. Like I could, but I'm not. And it's not that we had to talk about. It's not that you, it's not a lack of self-control. Let's not shame yourself for lack of self-control. There are deeper meanings behind that. There's some intention behind that. There's something that is stopping you. So we have to understand what that something is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about your client, but like if, if she's a mom of three, like I could be eating like this, but I have to feed my kids. Yeah. You got kids to feed. So maybe you couldn't be doing this without extra help. <laughs> like maybe mm-hmm. that's what's blocking you. Mm-hmm. Have you actually, and I know this might be a general question, so we can narrow it down, but when it comes to the could and people don't often 
do you find that there are, it's like lifestyle circumstances, there's more, you know, court beliefs or emotions behind it, all the above? Have you, do you under, can recognize those maybe similarities or tendencies? Yeah, I, th- I think it's all of the above and then some. We don't give ourselves as much leeway or as much benefit of the doubt as we give others. So if you see person A doing something, like we'll use the healthy eating. Like if you see person A eating healthy all the time, let's just assume it's an absolute perfect diet, which does not exist, but we'll just, we'll work with that. And then you're like, well, I could do that too. Like we have the same job. We're the same age. We, you know, whatever we both have, we're both single. We both have a cat, like whatever you want to look at the similarities. But then what you don't see is, okay, maybe you've had a really traumatic past in history and your nervous system can't quite function as well as theirs because they've never had or they've had different traumas or whatever it is. And so there's always things that we can't see even when we're comparing ourselves to somebody who seems very similar. And it's like, well, I could or I should because they can. It's like, well, you're not seeing the whole picture. Yes. Thank you for speaking to that because I comparison gets myself stuck every time. Man, I work on comparison all the time. You know, it's just yeah, so easy to do that. It's always been easy to do that, I think, in human nature, but especially right now. You're seeing just everything all day. Yeah. Right in front of you. So yeah. And yeah. it happened without being conscious. So much unconscious like comparison is sitting there as well. Um, yeah. When it comes to trauma, and I realize this more and more, is that sometimes we can talk about chronic symptoms you know, manifesting from a traumatic background. People understand that trauma lives in the body now. We recognize that, we understand it. But then there are some people that are like, I don't know, I haven't had huge traumas. This person over here, again, comparison, they're like, this person over here, man, they've had a wild life and they're not sick like I am. Again, though, like, you don't know. You don't know what's going on. So many things impact it. Not only lifestyle, emotional, mental, physical relationships, genetics, like, you just don't know. Um, You don't know. And I think what people miss a lot when it comes to trauma, especially when they're comparing, like it's not the event that's traumatic. It's how your body responds to the event. It's the feeling of safety that goes away, basically, Mm -hmm. and how that sticks with you. And I think a really good comparison is like, let's say you have twins grow up in the same household, have relatively the same experience at home, one of them sees something and reacts to it completely differently from the way their their sibling reacts to it. Like that can change the path of their lives energetically or, you know, nervous system and chronic illness speaking in those terms, like that can change each of their lives dramatically just from one event that was the same event. Yeah. And we are such individuals what makes up our body (laughs) (laughs) yes uh we're all different so yeah we're not going to be the same and i say that i i recognize like the the reasons behind and the reasons behind the way we are we are are different now we can't pull out some similarities like we even mentioned about personality characteristics and types of things that contribute to what you're experiencing now, especially when it comes to chronic symptoms. So yes, those all yeah. are helpful to understand. Right. But one thing I think is important to understand too is the trajectory of how you will heal, make progress, 
you know, work on your mental, physical, emotional health, even if you're doing the same thing as someone next to you, it's going to look different. It's going to take different yeah. enough. That's so huge too. Your day Absolutely. one is going to look very different than someone else's day one or day 500, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm going to on a little tangent there. We like it. it. Yeah. Okay. So then let's bring this back to where we started. Because what I'm recognizing throughout this thread that we're talking about is really taking care of yourself. That all starts with how you're treating yourself, right? I mean, yeah. that's what we're saying. Stop shaming, guilting yourself or work on that. And uh, <laughs> release the, the comparison. I'm saying that like it's easy. Like, okay, great. Do it or yeah. But you know what I mean? Is that Yeah, like just stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but really, I mean... So much throughout this, like such a theme is how are you looking at yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? Which is how are you talking to yourself? How are you seeing yourself? You, we're talking about you, right? So can you make any other like comments or notations on that? Because (laughs) then I just pulled that out. Um, I'm trying to tie it back to where we started. But really, you know, taking care of yourself really does look like how you're talking to yourself. How do you? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the first steps is getting to know yourself in that way. Or I guess being able to to listen, like what you were saying, like to listen to your body. Again, going back to the bubble bath, like if you think you're supposed to be taking bubble baths because that's self-care or you should, or you know, maybe even you could because you have a, an amazing fancy bathtub, but you get in that bathtub and it does not feel good bubble baths are not for you. So being able to recognize what feels good and restorative versus maybe what feels more like a should, like, oh, I I should be doing this. Like I want to do this, whatever it is. I feel like I'm still like not being specific enough, but just being able to tune into your body and, and your mind and what's going on for you. I was going to say, I think that's a great way to, to wrap it up, a good note to end on with that, because really, that's exactly what we're saying, is that all these things that you probably see online of what to do, and even like, you know, things that I've probably shared, or you probably shared on online of what to do. Yes, they're important, and it's helpful to have examples, but that doesn't mean it's supposed to work, and it should work for you. Yes. Have to figure out what works for you. And it does take trial and error. It takes experimenting, trying them out. Exactly. Yeah. Messy action. Messy <laughs> action with the thing that you want to try. Exactly. Sure. Build your list it. and then just close your eyes and point, try it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no yeah. perfect way. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. So, anything else that you want us to know around these topics? Yes. Just listen to us and take care of yourself. <laughs> but really, I kind of talked about my theory behind self-care in the beginning, but I truly, truly believe that taking care of ourselves is the first step in taking care of others. And it's the first step in taking care of our communities and our world. And however big you want to get it, if you don't give yourself the restoration and the energy and the ability to do any of that, then you're not going to be any help to anybody else. Now, I know one of the fears or concerns is that, oh, self-care is so selfish. Like I shouldn't, I don't want to take care of my, I don't want to take time for myself. It's like, but you have to, because you are one person. And if you don't take care of yourself, you are eventually going to burn out. And then you are not going to be able to take care of the 50 other people that you want to take care of. So you've got to start with you. That's my soapbox. <laughs> Love it. 
keep speaking it, keep talking about it. It's so, so freaking important. It is. Okay. And then what I like to end on is just a little more, maybe personal or professional, but what are you into right now? What's lighting you up? What's your reason? Ooh, personally, what's lighting me up is sitting in front of my fireplace as long as I can, which unfortunately is not very long because it is still hitting like 70 degrees here in California. But but the mornings are nice in front of the fire. (laughs) And professionally, I mentioned it before, but I'm starting this wellness monthly book club membership that I'm so excited about. I don't, I can, I forget how to talk whenever I bring it up, but it's a book club. So once a month, we will pick a new book in the personal development field. And then we have wellness chats. I'm planning on having guest experts. So Grace, you will absolutely be invited to that. I hope you can come. And it's really for full-time employees, nine to fivers who are overwhelmed and stressed out and don't have a lot of time but want that accountability and to want who want to better themselves and to learn all of these things that maybe make it on the resolution list every year, but don't actually take action on. It's, it's a community based on that of just being available to help people take action on those things. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. I will love that. Me too. I'm so excited. Cool. (laughs) And when is that starting? That starts on January 1st. So I don't know when this comes out or whenever anybody's listening to it, but if it's past January 1st, 2024, we are roaring and going. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it'll be in January. So they will hear it right in time. Yay! Amazing. Yeah, so if they hear it before February, you can still get the founding membership rate. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, and that'll all be linked here in the show notes as well. So find Kaylin on her links. And thank you so much for coming and being thank one of my you. first guests. Yeah, love talking with you about it. And I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as time goes on. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, friend, it's Grace. I know you're tired of feeling like managing your physical and mental health is just one big moving target. I also know that you've spent years of your life and hundreds of dollars on doctor's visits, juice cleanses, fad diets, and fancy supplements only to feel like nothing about your chronic symptoms has changed. If this sounds like you, consider this your invitation to find a holistic health protocol that works for you and your body, even if you have chronic symptoms, unhealed trauma, or a dysregulated nervous system. That's exactly what's waiting for you inside the Mind-Body Healing Method, my 12-week group program that's designed to help you say body or chronic symptoms through learning how to regulate your nervous system, retrain your brain, and heal unresolved trauma. Our clients have found relief from even the most chronic of symptoms, including fibromyalgia, sciatica, migraines, gut issues, and other uncomfortable symptoms without pills or a long list of rituals and regimens. If you'd like to learn more about our program, head over to the show notes and learn more. Because the truth is that there is a protocol that works for you, you just might not have found the right balance for your body yet. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to me if you could do these couple things. One, go to the Heal with Grace show page wherever you listen and tap the plus sign or click on the follow button so you don't miss an episode. It helps both of us out. While you're there, if you could give a five-star review so that this podcast can reach more people, it would mean so much to me so I can continue sharing episodes that help you as well as others. Thanks for listening and I hope this brings you hope on your journey.